Hello and welcome to episode 10 of series 4 of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. Well, if you've been listening to the show recently, you will know we're coming up to our 100th episode, which will be going out on the 6th of June. That's going to be an interview with Richard Newman from UK Body Talk, and he's going to be telling us all about how internal communications can act as change makers, how we can uh, really influence change within our organisation as internal communicators. Uh, But before that, on the 23rd of May, I have another interview which is going to be going out, which is with Kimberly Weefing. Kimberly's going to be telling us all about how we can connect our mission to our day-to-day KPIs within our organizations. We often find in organizations there's uh, an understanding of the mission and the vision and the high-level purpose of the organization and people tend to understand their local KPIs and scores and targets within their team Um, but sometimes there's a disconnect between the two or a perceived disconnect and Kimberly's going to be telling us all about how we can make sure that that connection exists. So uh, if you are enjoying the show, if you've listened to it for a long time or if you've only just found it recently please share it with your colleagues or anyone in your network who you think might from benefit from it we're trying still trying to grow the show organically even now after nearly three years of, of uh, having the show out there so uh, and uh, it's through your uh, kindness and, and generosity of sharing it with other people and making other people who uh, will find it useful aware of it which we've been able to grow the show over this period anyway so uh, that's all I'm going to say for 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 this episode in terms of the introduction i'm going to get straight into this episode's interview in this episode we're going to be exploring the difference between responsive and reactive communications and by that we mean responsive communications are ones where we have time to consider what we're going to be saying and how we we are dealing with a situation versus a reactive communication which is where we're trying to communicate at haste and maybe not having time to think of the responses and that equally applies to both personal communications so our leaders and the way that they communicate with their employees and their staff and also so our more detailed and more planned communications that we we have time to to respond to so we're going to be looking at how cognitive behavioral psychology and and it's the ideas that that contains can be used within organizations to create better communications that are better better focused towards what employees need and are geared towards creating positive cultures and, and employee engagement we're going to be looking at how cognitive behavioral psychology links to leadership skills and behaviors within the organization and as i said linking that back to how we can create communications that respond to the issues that we are trying to deal with rather than reacting and and distinguishing the difference between the two. We're going to link that to the work of corporate communicators and employee engagers, which is obviously will be hopefully of interest to to you as our audience. But also then we're going to look at the difference that personality and behavioral styles can have when it comes to transmitting and receiving information. I'm sure we're all probably familiar with tools like Myers-Briggs and DISC and Insights, but we're going to have a little dive into that and thinking about how we can use those the, the knowledge of those different profiles and different behavioral profiles in our communications as well. So that's what we're going to be looking at in today's episode. I hope you find that a useful conversation. It's an area we've not covered before. And as I've, uh, as we're always trying to do, we're trying to bring new ideas to you to help stimulate your learning and your professional development. 
My guest today is Lena Scullard. Lena is an interactive keynote speaker and trainer who inspires people to expand their self-awareness and embrace the power of choice. So hello, hello, Lena. How are you? Hi, Craig. I am wonderful. I'm excited for this conversation. Yes, me too. And, it, and that's quite, by my standards, that's quite a short introduction. So I'm going to ask you lots of questions just to elaborate a little bit more on that. So just for our listeners, Lena, whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? I am in the United States, uh, in Minnesota, right smack central Minnesota, about 45 miles north of the Twin Cities. Ah, very good. So sort of our European listeners and, and particularly the you know, people in the UK are, 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 tend to be quite poor at US geography. So if we were to look at a map of um, a map of the kind of United States, where, where Minnesota, whereabouts is that kind of east, west, north, south? Yeah, right in the middle and right next to Canada. Ah, right. Okay. Ah, right. So fantastic. Yeah. And I, and and so um, have you always lived in Minnesota? Is Minnesota your home or have you moved there recently? How long have you been in Minnesota? And tell us a little bit about what, what your, your career has been up until this point. Oh, Craig, I let me tell you, I was born and raised in Minnesota. And if it wasn't for my family that I love so dearly, I would not live here. Uh, we are famous for our winters. The amount of snow we get is ridiculous. The yeah. degrees below zero it gets is ridiculous. And every winter about this time, I question why I still live here. <laughs> but as a speaker, I get to travel. And so there are warm days scattered throughout my winters. And I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> and this and then last past year 22 23 has been a pretty heavy winter i believe and in the in the, well particularly i know it is in the states is it, i presume so in minnesota as well yeah yes i'm <laughs> waiting patiently for it to be done but they are forecasting another 4 to 6 inches of snowfall tomorrow oh my goodness oh my and goodness and i'm hoping that's the last one Right. Okay. Okay. Well, and all we're complaining about over here in the UK is the wind <laughs> and rain. So yeah, we should be should be grateful. Uh, so Lena, tell us a little bit more about your work then. So I know you've got an interest in 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 uh, cognitive behavioural psychology. We'll find out a little bit more about that. But tell us about what's led you to to what you're doing now. I said you're a keynote speaker and trainer. Um, what, what, tell us a little bit about your career background and and how you've developed this interest in cognitive behavioural psychology. I would love to. So my big dream coming into adulthood was the theater. And I actually have a bachelor's degree in the theater arts. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't get a job in that career, believe it or not, uh, right away. And I ended up getting a second bachelor's degree in English literature. I wanted to teach English. Shortly before finishing that degree, a job at the company I worked for opened up in the education and performance department within HR. And so mm. they selected me to be a performance consultant. And that role involved, you know, facilitation, onboarding, and then supporting performance for the areas of the business that I was in charge of supporting. Okay. And through okay. that experience, I got to learn about instructional design and began designing training uh, I continued to sharpen my facilitation skills. And then I also spent about two years as our communications specialist, which is really what yeah. drew me to you and this podcast. Um, yeah. And then I actually just left 
my career in corporate training as a learning specialist about six months ago uh, to continue with my own business, which has been speaking and training for the last five or six years. Ah, fantastic. And so that sounds quite an enlightened organization to, to you know, to see, uh, well, to, to have like facilitators or not, you know, not, not necessarily tra- trainers, but, but facilitators like you with the sort of skill set that you had. And, and it's quite interesting. I always, cause I'm a, I, I'm not, I didn't follow acting to the same level as, as you did, but I, I kind of, you know, I used to act at school and I used to love it. And I think part of my love of facilitation and, and kind of being in front of audiences now stems from that, that kind of, you know, buzz and excitement that you get and, and, and where, you know, and helping and supporting a group uh, by, you know, by being in front of the room. So I don't know whether, I don't know if there's a common denominator there, but um, yeah. And, and so the organization you work for, was that, was that a, a public organization or a private organization that, that where you did this, uh, your, your initial foray into learning and facilitation? So it was a private organization. And what I loved working for them and what is really unique, I think, about them is that they are a Native American tribally owned business Mm. uh, that continues to do very smart business in how they continue to grow and diversify. So they started out as two casino resorts and Mm. have since grown uh, to have over 25 businesses in their portfolio, and they continue to invest in new lanes of business. And I think that that is really inspiring to me because they're thinking, they're future thinking in terms of how they're going to continue to support their people. Mm-hmm. I, I know we we spoke about this briefly. I know it's not kind of the, the topic that we're going to be talking about today, the main topic we're going to be talking about, but I find this fascinating and I know you explained it to me, but maybe just for our listeners, just to explain when you say tribally owned and and, and you define that to me. And I kind of thought I knew what it meant and, and you kind of, it, it was similar to what I thought, but just, just for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with that, that uh, concept, uh, which is obviously, well, I, I assume is unique to the United States. Just tell us a little bit more about how that worked and, and what it was like to work work in a tribally owned business. Absolutely. So the history of Native American people and our federal government has gone through some ups and downs over the years. But in 1988, uh, the federal government recognized the tribe's sovereignty. Actually, the sovereignty was recognized earlier than that. But in 1988, the federal government um, came out with an executive order that allowed tribes, Native American tribes in the United States to open gaming and casino businesses in order to support their own economic development. So when a Native American tribe is established and has sovereignty, their relationship is with our federal government, but they operate exclusive from any state government system, even though Mm. their reservation lands are within our states that sovereignty gives them the right to operate their own government separate from the state government. So it's it's a very fascinating uh, and I think important piece of kind of the United States in general and our culture. Mm. 
Yeah. And and you we spoke when we had, had the original conversation about how, you know, that was to to work in a in a in a in a I guess in a an organization which has a kind of very, you know, a very different culture to maybe a mainstream uh US owned, you know, kind of Anglo American type culture was 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 just fascinated me about, you know, the kind of the the, the importance of values and 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 uh and you did maybe say a little bit more of that because I'm sure that's something our listeners would be interested to hear about. Yeah, I feel incredibly privileged to get to work for an organization that had such strong ties to their history and origins and Native American culture. So mm-hmm. um, the Ojibwe tribe, that their culture was deep in all of their business operations and their seven values, their seven traditional Ojibwe teachings are a huge part of performance expectation even from the employees Mm. within the organization. Mm. And Mm. I think because they operate on an expectation that people show up with love and humility and live Mm. their truth and demonstrate respect and bravery and wisdom, I think that that created a really special work environment and culture. And we're here to talk about engagement. And I think that is a huge part of engaging people. Mm. 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 Excellent. Yeah. Anyway, then maybe that's a that's a future topic for we we could probably spend a whole episode talking about that. But we want to talk about your work on cognitive behavioral psychology and the the difference, but maybe between responsive and reactive communication. So, just tell us a little bit more about uh, cognitive behavioral psychology for those those listeners who aren't familiar with it. And I, I must admit, I, it's an area that I kind of know a little bit about, but probably not as much as I think I do. Sure. And I think it goes by a lot of different names, but my passion and fascination for cognitive behavioral psychology really came from a couple of different programs that I got to certify in facilitating in terms of leadership and professional development. Uh, Mm. The two predominant programs that I can name would be uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People um, by a man named Stephen Covey, if you're familiar. And the very, other, yeah, very good. yes, investment in excellence or thought patterns for high performance comes from an organization called the Pacific Institute. Mm, uh, mm. Both of them very much rooted in the idea that if we want to make change in our lives and we want to get the outcomes that we desire, it starts cognitively. So it starts with our mindset. And we have to understand how we see ourselves, how we talk to ourselves, how our history shapes the way we see the world and can sometimes get in the way. Mm. And from there, we move to the behavioral, which is once we understand better our cognitive psychology, then we can make different and more intentional choices and behave in a way that gets us different and better outcomes in our lives. Mm. So Mm. this internal work that I learned to explain and facilitate to people in a way that really helped them break free of things that were limiting them, self-limiting beliefs, and then learn to like take action and set goals that moved not only their careers forward, but their personal lives forward. The number of conversations I've had with people that have come through this kind of training that have said things like, it saved my marriage, 
or mm-hmm. I finally dug myself out of debt because of mm-hmm. that training was really powerful mm-hmm. to me. And it's actually why I took the next step in my career to become a speaker and trainer uh, with my own business is really so that I can impact as many people as I can with this information. Yeah. Gives you a broader reach, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let, let's just think about then think, thinking that for our corporate listeners then, because obviously, and, and, and it sounds like you, you, you know, the, the people you were doing that were for your colleagues within the, your organization. So it, 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 it wasn't the, you know, you were doing that independently, but now, as you say, you're doing that now as an independent consultant and trainer. To, yes. Let's think about that from a leadership and leadership behaviors and leadership skills within an organization. How would you relate that sort of cognitive behavioral psychology methodology to, to how our leaders behave and how they communicate and how they interact? interact and, and how they kind of create that sense of uh, I'm familiar with the Pacific Institute stuff and it's really good stuff and, and I remember it was all very much around you know kind of your self-talk uh, and how you yes. how you then kind of um, you know you have affirmations and and, and and you use those affirmations to you know as you say to create a kind of a, a positive outcome rather than you know kind of pessimistic uh, ways of thinking that often are rife in our organization so it'd be good to maybe think about from a kind of comms and leadership perspective how how that kind of methodology might work and how it kind of influences those sorts of behaviors Absolutely. Let's start with leadership because I think one of the biggest gaps that I see happen with leaders is that they know one of their core responsibilities is to drive results through their team, right? Mm. And oftentimes then the focus is on someone's performance, uh, their behavior, their action, the results that they get. And often when people aren't performing up to a standard, the conversation is very focused on their performance and how they've failed to meet the standard. Mm. And I think where cognitive behavioral development can help is that understanding of we have to make a mindset shift before we can make a behavior shift that sticks. And if leaders could learn to have conversations with their team members around the why of the task, Mm. the impact of their performance, how Mm. that level of performance is negatively impacting, right? The bigger picture, the why Mm. of the bigger picture. I think we would get better um, results and better change from our team members. Mm. And I think going back to that idea of our brains tend to focus on what we feed it as the most important thing to focus on. Mm. Mm. And Mm. So example that is always crazy popular is, you know, you go out to buy a new car and you spend a lot of time shopping to try to find that perfect car that is unique to you. And then you buy the car and suddenly you see that car everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 (laughs) Um, yeah. Because suddenly that car is important to your brain. So it sees it. They were always there. Your brain just didn't notice it before. So yeah. uh, going back to this idea of our brain focusing on what's most important, if I as a team member am constantly having conversations with my leader around what I'm not doing or what I need to fix, then my focus is always on not messing up. Mm. And in turn, I'm going to continue to mess up because that's where my brain is pulling me. Mm. If we as leaders can learn to have 
positive conversations with our team members about what we believe they're capable of and what they know we are capable of doing different the next time. And it's always future focused and Mm -hmm. positively influenced. I think we also will get better results from our team Mm -hmm. members and Mm -hmm. more engagement, Mm -hmm. more conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, and and it's it's really important to spell out what you're saying there. It's not, it's not about kind of, uh you, you know kind of the pollyanna effect it's not about saying that things that aren't right we just kind of gloss over them and say they're great it's a, it's very much around focusing on what good looks like uh and again to coin it i guess that's a, a, a seven habits uh, uh you know catching people doing the right things and amplifying those rather than just you know kind of always focusing on the negative and i i i see this a lot in organizations where they they kind of they know that's what they should be doing and yet they can't re- resist kind of fault finding and and that the kind of the kind of mentality that comes with that and lots of you know covering up and 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 no one wanting to take accountability rather than you know kind of looking for where we're doing things well and amplifying those but also having those kind of conversations when things maybe aren't as we expected but but being very kind of clear and focused on what good looks like so people can kind of at least aspire to that i think it's really important um I just want to just one of the things that we spoke about and then kind of gives what we kind of themed this interview around is this idea of, of responding and not reacting. And, 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 and and for some people listening, it may sound like a semantic difference. And I know we discussed this and we, we kind of have a a common view of, 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 you know, the importance of this, but, but from your, in your words, Lena, the difference between responding and reacting in, 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 in situations and to communications and, and also why, why that distinction is important and why we choose the right path when it comes to responding or reacting. Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And you're right, for most people, the difference between reacting and responding does seem like they're synonymous and that it's semantics. Mm. Um, Mm. You and I had chatted a little bit earlier about Viktor Frankl, right? And his experience in the Nazi concentration camps. And Mm. his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is one of my favorite books. And Mm. One of the things he discusses in that book is his observation around how people responded to what was happening to them. And Mm. his famous quote that I quote often is, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our greatest human freedom, and that is our freedom to choose. And the reason I differentiate between reacting and responding is that things happen to us. And I see it happen all the time. And I'm still guilty of it, even though I practice this every single day. Mm -hmm. Things Mm -hmm. happen to us and our subconscious mind immediately reacts. Mm -hmm. And sometimes negatively. I know for me, it happens often when I'm driving. Mm. Other drivers, I think that's a classic, right? a classic uh, example that I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so we tend to be, and I've seen this especially since COVID. People are living in a more reactive state than they have before, and just allowing things to happen, and then immediately letting their subconscious minds dictate their their actions. Following, right? Something mm. happens, we get angry, we lash out, right? And that breaks down relationships and usually comes with some kind of negative consequence in the future. Mm. 
And sometimes we'll even justify it by saying, but it felt really good in the moment. Mm, mm. But a moment is just a moment, right? And so if mm. we can, and it's one of the things I love teaching people how to do, if we can figure out how to catch those triggers and stretch that space that Viktor Frankl talked about and just take that pause to very quickly recognize that this emotional response isn't the only response and mm. that the thing my brain is telling me to do isn't the thing I have to do. Mm. And then ask ourselves, what do I actually want in the long term and what do I want to do right now to help me get to that outcome? Mm. I think that's mm. the power of cognitive behavioral psychology. It's really thinking about what you're feeling and thinking and then making a more intentional decision. Mm. Mm. Definitely. And that's and responding. It, Reacting is yeah. quick. Responding takes thought. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and uh, I, I guess you, uh, your driving example probably resonates with 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 a lot of people. The example I often use when I'm talking about this is the you know the kind of uh, the when you get that acidic email from a colleague and it kind of just raises every kind of uh, hackle on your back of your neck and you know your you can feel your blood pressure rising and your heart beating and you just kind of thrash out that response and say press return and then you kind of uh, you know repent it, it, it at leisure because you've uh, you've kind of sent it and you can't recover and you're kind of desperately trying to recover it and, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and I think we've all probably been in those situations I think that's a, that's a really as another example of where giving yourself a chance to respond and possibly waiting you know at, at least a, an hour or maybe even sleeping on it and not and, and maybe writing the draft but then rereading it in the morning and making sure it, it's kind of a, a response rather than a reaction is really important isn't it Absolutely, which I think is a beautiful transition to internal communication. Uh, yes. But I have a very quick story about that exact thing you were just talking about. Uh, I was in a full department meeting, uh, one of those quarterly department meetings. And so we were going around the table and giving updates. And at this time, I was, I believe, the communication specialist. Mm. And when it was my turn to share my update, I was really excited. We were backlogged in project requests. So I had taught one of our units how to film and edit their own video using Microsoft's free tools. And I was very excited to share this because it meant they could do some of that on their own. And when I shared this, the e-learning specialist whose job predominantly was helping teams with their video uh, got very visibly upset and she lashed out and she said, whoa, whoa, why would you do that? Hold on. That was not, that's not your job. That's my job. And she just got really mad. Mm. And then I felt really offended and disrespected being called out right in front of my entire team. And so this was an example of, you know, stretch that space, right? Not mm. everything requires an immediate response. So I just took a d deep breath and told her I would be happy to discuss with her following the meeting. Yeah. So that yeah. was the end of the conversation there. But then I sat down to write that email, right? And that email started out very much like, I need to let you know that the way you treated me today was not okay. And it was very much about me. And I did exactly what you said, right? Take the night, sleep on it, go back the next day. All right. Um, standing up for myself is going to make me feel good in the moment, but what's the long-term goal? I need to have a good relationship with this coworker, Yeah, which I'm glad yeah. I did because she eventually became my boss. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And so cute. rather the email stated, Jenny, you know, I noticed that you responded strongly to my update and I'd like to understand where that came from. Right. So I started with her, like, tell me mm. about where you were coming from. And then I did finish it with in the future, I would feel more respected if you'd have those conversations with me privately rather than in front of our colleagues. So, and mm. we ended up having a great working relationship, but that's an example of the first thing you want to say isn't always the best thing to say. No, and just taking absolutely. that space to really think about what do I need to do to get that future outcome that's the most important for me is yeah. valuable. Yeah, but I want to yeah, transition I'm, it to the internal communication. Yeah, let's, I think- yeah, let's. Yeah, we could talk again. We could talk about that 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 very thing. But yeah, let, let's move it into the internal comm space then, and how this how this this sort of think way of thinking plays out then, Lena. Yeah, and I think the idea of engagement, which we haven't talked about in depth, is important to this as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going back to leadership and what we've been talking about, I think it's very common for us as internal comms specialists to think of our job as getting the information out there. Mm. And once we get the information out there, our job is done. And you and I talked about the importance of, you know, we put it out there, but are we taking the time to measure how it's received? Mm. How Mm -hmm. accurately it's received, how well people are paying attention and remembering how closely they're paying attention Um, And I think that's something that leaders can help with as well. Mm. One of the things that we started doing that was really valuable is any mass communication that we would put out would actually go to leadership up to 48 hours to a week in advance Mm. to give leadership a chance to ask their questions and the questions they know that their frontline was going to ask. Um, in order for them to feel prepared to have conversations. Okay. And then we also um, kind of surveyed and measured, and sometimes we even gamified the measurement of our people getting it. Okay. So, so that that's really interesting, and and I, I and a kind of an angle I hadn't thought about, and I, so so you yeah, and I and I guess that's really good. You know that's good practice anyway, isn't it? To to kind of get get people to sort of think about what are, what are people going to come back with, and how am I going to then respond to that, rather than you know just kind of firing it out there and we'll deal with it when it comes back to us. And how how well was that received? I mean, was that something that people appreciated? Because senior leaders, from my experience, are notoriously well, not. I don't want to kind of again sort of looking at it positively time pressured and therefore yes. you know don't always kind of put that thought in how how easy a sell was that to get them to kind of really do that sort of pressure testing of of what what the people would come back with and and how they would respond to them I think when we first started talking about it it wasn't received well because it felt like extra work yeah I think it's important for us as the communication person the HR team the learning team whoever is in charge of that to provide tools that help the leaders with that time Mm. constraint. Mm. Um, So it would be things like we might create a crossword puzzle based on a communication piece 
and do a company-wide drawing. And so then all the leader was really responsible for is making sure people knew about it and knew where to turn it in. Okay. Um, Okay. So really kind of keeping our finger on the pulse of the measurement itself and then just helping leaders with the distribution of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice example. Any any other examples of of, of that that kind of? Because I guess again, with with internal communicators, and that's a, that's a, that is a really good example of how you can do that. I guess with internal communicators, they do they're not always respond they're not always responding or reacting. You know, there may be if there's a crisis. I guess you may have to pull together some crisis communications, which is probably but but a lot of the time they do have a little bit more time to be a little bit more considered and deliberate. Um, and so I guess that that whole thing around tone is really important. And, you know, when you were talking about the cognitive behavioral psychology and the way we tone or phrase our communications and how much of that is focused on, you know, kind of what's working well and what's not working so well and, and kind of building a sense of urgency. What, what, are the, what are the tips or ideas do you have for kind of people who have got maybe more time to, del- to deliver corporate comms, but maybe do sort of maybe find themselves um you know kind of not getting the tone right sometimes or maybe they are kind of re- overly reactive when when there maybe there is more time to be more responsive i guess using the terminology we've been using so far are you talking in terms of the person kind of doing the mass communication or are you talking more on a leadership level i guess a bit of both actually yeah i mean it's a good 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 okay. question i mean yeah i mean maybe more on a, on a leadership level i guess it's more you know maybe more um kind of they've got unless it's you know if they're doing a briefing or they're doing a town hall or something like that i guess they need to be able to be able to react and respond there i'm maybe thinking more about the kind of more planned communications is that is a, are there any of these concepts that you can kind of weave into you know, kind of planned conversations or kind of when, if you're writing a kind of a, uh, an all email communication or sorry, an all company uh, communication, whether that's through email or a kind of newsletter or maybe something like that. Is there a way you can kind of build in some of these, uh, these concepts that we've been talking about into that as well? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is often making sure that if you're communicating out information, that you are also communicating that big picture for mm, those that are going to yeah. want to understand the why, being transparent yeah. in where it, where it came from. Mm. Why is this change happening or why did we decide to go this direction? I think is important. And you and I had talked a little bit too about the kind of quadrants of human communication and the quadrants of human behavior and personality. And when I was a comm specialist, because I was also facilitating um, that kind of training, it was really important to me as a communication specialist. And I even still use it as a speaker uh, when I'm creating material is, you know, am I delivering on the need of the different types of, of human preferences that are out there in communication. So, um, you know, for those people who want things to be brief to the point, direct, candid, right. Um, am I starting out in a way that immediately gets to the most important information in the first couple of sentences? Yeah. 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 And then am I adding the human element, right? Am I adding some, energy and some positivity for those people? Am I including the why and the impact? And am I allowing room for people to ask questions and share opinions? 
Am I making yeah. that safe? And am I I'm making that okay? And then am I providing later in the email or the communication all the details, right? Because you have those people that are going to ask a million questions and they want all the information. And I see that happen often with leaders. They think that they need to protect people from too much information. And so they'll withhold certain things because, oh, that's not relevant to them and they don't need to know that. Yeah, But I think it's yeah. important to know there are people that will feel better knowing everything, even if it might not seem relevant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and I guess the model, just in case people are thinking, what model are they talking about there? We're talking about DISC, I guess, there with or insights, or maybe many people know it as the kind of the, 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 the four quadrants. Yeah. Yeah. So the four quadrants, I would say my two favorite and the two that I'm experienced in facilitating on would be DISC as well as insights. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the two dimensions we're talking about there are uh, people's f- primary focus, whether it's on people or kind of processes and things versus, and then the the second dimension is is whether they're kind of more fast-paced, uh, accepting versus sort of more kind of reserved, think reflective, sort of questioning people right. as well. And if you draw those two lines, you get the kind of four quadrants. Is that that's That's the one we're talking about, yeah? You got it absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. focusing on objectives and facts versus people and feelings. And then the yeah. other half, I like to say, you know, there's the half that wants to do something. And then there's the half that wants time to process. Yeah. Before yeah, they do yeah. something. Yeah. Yes. And that, and that's sometimes, you know, thinking about it, 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 it's difficult to cater for all of those in one, you know, in one through one channel or one thing, but it's, it's catering for those different needs through different channels. So it may be if we do a presentation that's all very action orientated, we provide some questions and answers and feedback, you know, more detailed reports or data that people control through if, if they want to look through it afterwards, uh, if that's their inclination as well. It's about thinking about how do we satisfy all of those different needs, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think what you just said is really important, especially with the technology that we have access to now, is really Mm. thinking about, can I do a video, right, for those people that want it quick, and they just Mm. want the highlights? And then can I provide something more detailed and written uh, for those people that want to take the time to sit down and read and process? Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Excellent. So, uh, just 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 kind of moving towards the sort of to, to closing out, then, Alina. Let, let's just sort of think about our our listeners love kind of little things they can take away and just use straight away. You know, kind of out of the box, as it were. Keep it in their pocket and and use it. So, I mean, disc is a great model like that. I, I often, you know, even even if you've not done the full disc training or you've not had your kind of disc profile done, you can still look at it and you can use it as a sort of a, a bit of a ready reckoner for that sort of thing that we've just been talking about there. Any other, any other kind of, you know, in the pocket things that people can maybe just use, use and maybe we, if there's anything that people, you know, need to download or get a link to your website or whatever, if you've got any resources like that, we can, we can mention that at the end, but any, any kind of, um, kind of go-to things that are, that are really easy to sort of share on a podcast like this that people can try and use. Um, sure. And I'll just kind of touch on, I think, the three big areas that we talked about. So yes, uh, with the most recent one with internal communications, I think one of the most valuable lessons I learned often, if you are in communications, you are attracted to that because you are a, a good writer and you are articulate, right? And mm. words fascinate you. And what I learned is that you really have to... Um, 
be clear and concise and simplify. Mm. I remember doing an exercise when I first learned this, um, where we just did like a free writing. And then they asked us to go back and count the number of words that we had in each sentence. Mm. And I think my average was like 14 to 18 words. I really like complex, right? With with multiple clauses. And (laughs) the basic lesson there was keep your sentences like eight or nine words. Uh, Don't make them compound. Don't use three syllable words if there's a two syllable word, right? That will that will fit it. So yeah. that was my biggest lesson learned with internal comms is just because you you have the uh, talent and ability to be fancy with your words doesn't mean it works well in this profession. Yeah, I think my big tip for leaders is really to use this idea of cognitive psychology in your conversations with your team and how you coach and really understand that there's a mindset conversation that should take place before correcting a behavior or encouraging a new behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and then sh- I and sh- think... yeah. Sorry, 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 Lena, I interrupted you. Go, carry on, sorry. No, you go ahead. No, no. I was gonna. I was gonna say in terms of in, in terms of you, you know you talked about that and that, that and that's very much that mindset shift that you're talking about is very much that that shift towards uh, you, you know not not focusing on what's wrong. Uh, you, you know, obviously that's the root cause that we want to want to fix. If it's a, if there's something that's not up to standard, but it's very much how we approach that. Uh, you know, and it's not a case of, of of kind of just going straight for the 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 uh the the faults it's very much around sort of building on on the positives and 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 trying to help people to see the connection between the way they're thinking and the way they're working and how they can improve that yeah absolutely and i think when we take the time to have a conversation with someone about what they're thinking or feeling or where they're coming from or why they did what they did mm-hmm. um that builds trust it demonstrates empathy and compassion and sh- and really shows it someone that you care, right, about yeah. where they're coming from. And I think that's yeah. really important as a leader. Uh, and to me, really, the foundation of engagement, right, is conversation mm, mm, absolutely. with your team members. Meaningful conversation. Abs- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, no, and, and yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And sorry, I think you had a final point. I've, I've kind of uh, interrupted you and you and you in full flow there, so... Oh, no, that's okay. The last piece of that was just around, you know, what we started off with, with the cognitive and behavioral psychology, which is really kind of the core of Mm. what I speak and train on now. So if your listeners are interested in following more uh, of conversation around that with me, Lena Scullard, I am luckily, it's very rare. I'm the only Lena Scullard on the internet (laughs) that I can find. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am literally on all the social medias at Lena yeah. Scullard. No numbers, yeah. no underscores, just at Lena Scullard. Yeah. Uh, so that makes it fairly easy. And then I do actually have a YouTube channel that's called Stitch It Up. And Stitch yeah. It Up is my trademark process of what I do when I stretch the space, when yeah. I get that emotional trigger and I need to take that pause. Um I teach four mental stitches, awareness, acceptance, attitude, and accountability that help Uh, move you from the emotional trigger to the choice of behavior and action that you're going to commit to, to get the best possible result. 
Ah, and 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 actually, what I was going to suggest is is that we put that link into the uh, into the show notes. So if you can maybe send me that that URL for your YouTube channel, we'll we'll put that into the show notes. So if anybody wants to have a look at that, they can uh, they can have a have a glance at that um, directly okay. via the link because it's always difficult to remember URLs when you're listening to a podcast and to to actually uh, write them down because you're usually either driving or the gym or something. So yeah, <laughs> this is true. Uh, I will also send you a link to my website. If any of your listeners are interested in connecting with me more yes. on the training side of things or speaking, uh, yeah. bringing me into their organization, I would love to have a conversation and the easiest way to connect with me is through my website. Okay. All right. That's great. And I'll put your, your LinkedIn profile as well as anybody wants to get in touch with you that way as well, if that's okay. I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's probably the one social that I post the most and have the most conversation on. So, Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, look, it's been absolutely a pleasure speaking to you, Lena. I hope the snow that you get whenever it arrives, if it's maybe always snowing already, is uh, is not too calamitous and you, it, it is the final end of your, your long and uh, very cold winter. Um, and uh, and that once that's gone, you can look forward to the to the spring and a nice summer as well. I appreciate that, Craig. And our conversation has actually reminded me that regardless of how I feel about the snow, I have a choice, right? Yes, In how exactly. I choose to think about it. And so I am going to just choose to be grateful and yes. um, look forward to spring. Build a really large so, snowman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Embrace. Embrace the end of winter excellent well thank you so much for sharing that lena and uh, you know again we may be back we may be speaking to you again because this this whole business of tribally owned businesses i think i think we can get some transferable learnings from that because uh, uh, we you know we do talk about values and 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 sense of purpose and how important that is to people nowadays not well not just nowadays but it always has been but particularly significant now so maybe that's a topic we might come back to and ask you to uh, share some of your experiences of that at some point in the future I would be happy to. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. Right. I'm going to say goodbye, Lena. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Craig. And I hope your listeners got something cool out of our conversation. I'm sure they did. Thank you, Lena. Goodbye. Bye now. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services, our big pictures, our learning maps, our explainer videos, and also our live graphic recording, please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk. Thank you.